Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode number nine. Niner. In this episode, Dr. Little is going to talk to us about I think probably he and I's mutually favorite book, and maybe not his exclusive favorite, but when we're talking together, Ecclesiastes is our favorite. And he's going to talk from Ecclesiastes chapter 12 about the reading of many books. But before we get into that, as always, we have some Thinklings business to tend to. Let's talk about some books. Books and business. It had to happen. I knew it was going to happen. At some point, it's not going to happen. And it's either going to be a great disappointment I know. or a great relief. <laughs> we're either going to be like, this is great or now, we're going to cry. I see the cry. book that you're going to come to. I have this yeah. book. It's good. It is good. Go ahead. It's, okay. So I'm going to talk about Alvin Plantinga today, uh, his book, Knowledge and Christian Belief. So I teach apologetics and part of apologetics is discussing epistemology. And in yesteryear, atheist, one of the main arguments against Christianity for hundreds of years was what kind of a foundation do you have to build your belief system on? Can you start with knowledge, like data, like empirical data, empiricism? Or do you have like a reason or a logic, rationalism? And so Descartes tried one, another guy tried another, and ultimately neither really worked well. So Planiga is presenting another option for us. And the option, I'm not going to get into the option, but this book is a summary of his position. So if you're wanting to read Alvin Plantinga, this book is like 100 and 120 pages. It's it's a summary of his like basically his trilogy he wrote. Now Alvin Plantinga is a philosopher. He's a Christian philosopher. Won the Templeton. Well, yeah, I know he's broadly Christian. Is what I'm saying. He he would hold to some yeah some views that we would yeah absolutely be opposed to. Yep, absolutely. Yep. I mean he teaches it. But anyways, he, but he was very influential in broader philosophy. Now, part of the reason he's writing is he's trying to address new atheists. And so all I want to share from the book, uh, and we might come back to this book, is he's talking about new atheism. Now, atheism of yesteryear, be like the Bertrand Russell, J.L. Mackey, those sorts of guys. They were no friends of Christianity, but they did try to promote a reasoned argument for their position. But after 9-11, when the new atheists cropped up, something changed. And so He's talking about them, and he says their style, this is the New Atheists, includes, uh, emphasizes venom, vitriol, vituperation, ridicule, insult, and naked contempt. What's missing, however, is a cogent argument. Now, the funny thing is that as an apologetics teacher, I would heartily agree with that. Atheists today don't tend to offer strong arguments. They will, though. You go on YouTube, they're offering arguments, but they're just not very strong. And so my, my thought was this. This might be helpful. Why... Could they have such a following and influence today if they're not offering strong arguments? I would say it's because our culture has been discipled against the mind. So Mm. I might come back to that. That makes me think of Ecclesiastes 9. Ooh. They are listening to the shout of the ruler of fools. I was talking to somebody about this just yesterday. What's the sign of wisdom? Quietness. In the New Testament, James, the wisdom which is from above is... There's a list of descriptions in James chapter 3, but the one that always has stuck out to me, the wisdom that is from above is willing to yield. Yes. Knowing that it's right will actually be quiet. It's humble. Exert itself. Yeah, it's humble. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Ecclesiastes 9.17. Do you have a, Tim, do you have a book for us? Anything? Yeah, I've got three books actually. I want to talk about Ecclesiastes three. commentaries. 
I am frequently asked about, hey, what's a good commentary on this book of the Bible or that book of the Bible? And since my main content piece today is coming from Ecclesiastes, I figured I'd share. Three of my favorites. The one that's made me think a lot about Ecclesiastes is by So. It's spelled S-E-O-W. It's in the Anchor Bible series, Ecclesiastes. He is a higher critic, but his um, interpretations of the book are very textual. So he's made me think about the text. So for that reason, I like it. Real quick, for our audience, what's a higher critic? Higher critic would be somebody who has a low view of Scripture. Uh, for example, in I think it's Ecclesiastes seven twenty nine or 30, he was kind of struggling with it and so kind of concludes, this, book, this verse can't be original, so... You know, if I can't make sense of it, then it was inserted by somebody later and he can just rip it out of the text. So um, that one's so. Probably the one that I recommend the most, however, is by Bartholomew in the Baker Commentary on the Old Testament. I believe Bartholomew corrects, correctly understands the meaning of vanity. It's Hevel is the Hebrew word there. What is vanity? And so he correctly understands the overall premise of the book as well, Bartholomew in the Baker Commentary on the Old Testament. And then another favorite of mine is by Ogden. Uh, it's just entitled Kohelet. And the, re- the listener might be kind of confused. Why do we have this Kohelet? Well, Ecclesiastes is the English name for the book. The Hebrew name for the book is Kohelet. It's spelled Q-O-H-E-L-E-T-H, Kohelet, by Graham Ogden. And Ogden also correctly understands the overall premise of the book, and I believe he correctly understands specific sections, too. I've borrowed from each of these authors regularly, so my number one pick would be Bartholomew, number two, So, third, Ogden. But in the main content piece, you'll see that I actually side with. Why is it called Kohelet? Does that word mean something? Or Yeah, so it actually is a bit of a conversation. The book of Ecclesiastes, if you think about that word, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesia. Ecclesia, okay, so the Greek word ecclesia is church. Kahal in Hebrew means to assemble. Ah. Well, what is an ecclesia? It's an assembly. So that's why the New King James translates Kohelet, the preacher. It's not really a preacher. Like in a modern sense, he would have been more of a teacher, but he was an assembler. So he's an assembler, and so the idea, at least when the book was named in the church, was he's an assembler, he's the preacher, he's bringing people together. Oh. But uh, modern scholarship has kind of shied away from that interpretation. Instead of assembling people, he's not assembling people, he's assembling wisdom. So I thought maybe he would help me put together my Ikea furniture, but that's not <laughs> the book to turn to? Okay. No. You mentioned something about these commentaries, that they grasped the overall kind of uh, viewpoint of the book, the book of Ecclesiastes. What do you mean when you say that, that a commentary like Ogden or, Barth- or Bartholomew, as opposed to so, we're kind of saying that we disagree with them, or we, we agree with some of these and we disagree with them about the overall view of the book. What do you, can you flush that out a little bit? Yeah, I actually wrote a Faith Pulpit article on that topic. It's entitled The Message of Ecclesiastes. So you can go to faith.edu and find that. A lot of people look at Ecclesiastes as uh, a literature that instructs us on how not to think. Like the author Kohelet of Ecclesiastes was thinking wrong, wrongly, and so we need to not think that way. I would disagree with that assessment. I think that he is thinking realistically. 
about how life truly is. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is often portrayed very pessimistically. It's very negative. This is life under the sun. It's all vain, and we're all just going to die and be forgotten. Well, yeah, that's really negative, but is it just negative? I would contend it's not just that it's not negative. It's also realistic. Guess what's going to really happen to you? You are going to live your life, and then you're going to die, and then nobody's going to remember you. Okay, welcome to your life. That's what Ecclesiastes 1 is talking about. YOLO. <laughs> you only live once. And it really does change the way that you interpret portions of Ecclesiastes when you decide, is the writer, is the Kohelet, is he negatively viewing life? Is he positively viewing life? That really is a huge part of the discussion. And you mentioned another key word there, vanity, vain. Life is vain. And that's really getting to the heart of why we really like, I would say Bartholomew is my favorite commentary and Ogden is good too. I have so as well. They interpret that idea of vanity. Like if you take an English translation, generally you're going to read the word vanity. You're going to read that 30, 40 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And what does that mean? Some people take it as a very negative idea. Oh, life is worthless. Like this is a bunch of junk. Like why are we even doing this? And then some people like a Bartholomew look at it not in a negative sort of way, but he's properly understanding exactly what you said how life really is, and that that's actually not a problem. I want to talk about how life is is a puzzle, like figuring it out. And what do we really know? So, but that's not what I had planned for today. So we'll, we'll, we're going to jump into something else. Go ahead, jump us in. We're just in do Ecclesiastes it. chapter 12, right? Yes. So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we were just talking about reading good books. Within uh, the realm of good books and even writing books, is this an endeavor that we should even pursue? In fact, uh, some would go to Ecclesiastes 12.12. 12. This verse is the most quoted verse on dissertation, dedication pages, and stuff because it, it reflects the weariness and study of a scholar who has finally completed their <laughs> the pinnacle of the pinnacle of their education, their dissertation. And so then, what do they what do they quote? And further, my son, be admonished by these of making many books. There is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. And all the student listeners said, amen. Uh, but is that what it really means? What is he talking about when he says that the making of many books is no end and study is wearisome to the flesh? Students are maybe listening in and they're like, man, I'm exhausted. I'm working through these assignments. I might have midterms. I might have these paper deadlines. And why does my professor want me to write? I would contend that your professor wants you to write because he wants to cul you to cultivate your mind and to think better. And I also believe that is supported here in Ecclesiastes 12, 12. So what do we have here? We have an admonishment. This idea in verse uh, 12, further my son, be admonished. This is a warning. Hey, pay attention to this. Now, some say, oh, it's a warning. Don't do this. And that's what they imply from it. But it's not necessarily a don't do this. It's It could also be this is what your life is. And that's what I'm going to actually argue as I as I discuss this. But let's go ahead and look, look at this a little bit more. Of making many books. First, a book was not invented until like the 200, 300 AD. All right, Solomon was writing in the 900s. So the word here, Sepharim, it's, it's scrolls, it's documents. The making of many documents 
there is no end to it. This is what they, we just, you know, it's just going to keep happening. We're going to keep doing it. Uh, and then much study is wearisome to the flesh. And I want to focus in on that word wearisome, because when we think of weariness and wearisome, we think of something negative. And I believe that our incorrect interpretation of this passage is built upon the idea that it is wearisome. But maybe God wants you to weary at doing this activity. So to uh, make this case uh, for this interpretation, I'm going to turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. This word wearisome occurs, I think, three times in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's some cognate words. It's the same root, though. I want to focus on Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 8. I don't believe it's a coincidence that we have this idea of wearisome in chapter 1, the beginning of the book, and this idea of wearisome at the end in chapter 12. I think he's hitting on this wearisome idea both at the beginning and the end. What is he talking about with this wearisomeness in Ecclesiastes chapter 1? I think we're going to augment our interpretation of that word through this study. In verse 8, Ecclesiastes 1.8, and I'm using the New King James for this, all things are full of labor. That word for labor is the word wearisome. So all things are full of weariness. What is weariness? We learn in Ecclesiastes 1, what is weariness? Look at verse 5. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. The rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. In Ecclesiastes 1 verses 5 through 7, the author, Kohelet, looks at these three phenomena in nature, the sun, the wind, and the water. And what do these things do? They go, and they go, and they go. They work, and they work, and they work. Or we could say they toil, and they toil, and they toil. And by even using the word toil, in our English language, that has like a negative connotation. Like, man, this is bad stuff. But yeah. does anybody want the sun to quit rising and setting? Does anybody want the wind to quit doing what it's doing? Or does anybody want the water to quit doing what it's doing? What are these phenomena in nature doing? Exactly what God had ordained for them to do. It's the God-designed work they were to accomplish. Yeah, the wow, God-designed that work so cool. that they were going to accomplish. Wow. And what you just said, nobody wants the sun to stop rising, but the, in Ecclesiastes 1, what do people want to stop? The weariness. <laughs> they, want, like, they don't want the weariness. I want all these other right. things that are wearying to keep wearying, uh -huh. except for me. Exactly. And that, and that's, that's the heart of right. the question. Well, man, what am I really getting from this? I'm not getting anything. Let's be done. So, uh, and one of the ways that I've applied this is just to your life. What are you going to do tomorrow? Well, you're going to get up and you're going to hopefully get a shower and eat some <laughs> breakfast and hopefully brush your teeth. Drink some coffee. Drink some coffee. Yes. That's right. Okay. And, and then what are you going to do the next day? Well, you're going to do the same thing. And we get into these rhythms, these cycles, like the wind round and round and round it goes. Kohalit doesn't stop there. In verse 8, he, he then has that statement, all things are full of weariness, okay? Then he says, man cannot express it. The word express there is speak. Man cannot speak it. 
the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So he talks about humans now. We have speaking, seeing, and hearing. Now think about your faculties, okay? Do you want your eyes to quit seeing? Do you want your ears to quit hearing? And some of you might want your mouth to shut up or somebody else's mouth to quit working. <laughs> but obviously, I don't want, I want my mouth to keep working. And what, are, what is our body doing? It's the same thing as nature. They're continuing to do the God-ordained tasks that God has ordained for them. I wonder if maybe humans are the same way. And what does God expect of us? but to just go about doing these regular tasks that he has ordained for us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 13, Kohelet says, well, I'll start in verse 12, I, the preacher or the teacher, that's the word Kohelet there, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. What does nature do? What does your body do? What is man supposed to do? Round and round and round it goes. Now, what has Kohelet just done? He just wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. What do we have going on in Ecclesiastes 12.12? Further, my son, be admonished by these, of making many books, there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Does that mean it's negative? It's not in one eight. It's just the task that God has ordained for you to do. Are you weary, student? Welcome to the rest of your life. This is what God wants you to do. He wants you to study. And the studying doesn't end with that test, with that paper, or with whatever it is. You're going to have another test and another paper. And then as you graduate from school, those tests are going to change. And then it's going to be the real world. And you're going to be constantly writing out many books. And I think that writing is a good task. It was what they did. It helped them to think better, and it will help you to think better, which is why your professors are assigning these writing assignments, because they're trying to formulate your thinking, make you think better. This passage is not talking about, man, this just stinks. You don't have to, don't, you look forward to the day you don't have to do it anymore. No. Kohelet has written, and his writing is done because he's about to die. It's your turn. You want to be wise? Begin writing. Write on study on. This is the rest of your life. Now, this interpretation is actually not very common, shall we say. For example, Bartholomew, we talked about Bartholomew's commentary, and we said Bartholomew, his um, exegesis of this passage, or uh, this is our favorite commentary. Now, this is where understanding who an author is can really affect one's interpretation of a text. I'm going to read from Bartholomew concerning this passage. Either way, this is a remarkable affirmation of Kohelet's journey by the narrator in a context in which the Israelites were being tempted by Greek philosophy. Verse 12 would be relevant as a warning against their folly. Wait a minute, Greek philosophy? The Jewish people would be tempted by Greek philosophy? Greek philosophy? Now, wait a minute, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? 
Actually, most scholars do not believe Solomon was the author of Ecclesiastes. They believe it was a post-exilic book written during the days of Greek philosophy. And Bartholomew is actually in that camp. And, and so Bartholomew has read a different historical setting into Ecclesiastes 12. And I think that he's misunderstood the book. Uh, and this is why looking at multiple commentaries is always helpful. This is a very controversial text, by the way. There's like more than five interpretations of this passage. I believe Ogden has correctly understood it, and that's the explanation that I've explained here. Wait, so just to clarify, earlier we were talking about how we liked Bartholomew and Ogden, and here you're kind of even saying, well, I don't really like Bartholomew here. <laughs> so That's exactly right. That's why you know I don't agree with any of them uh, 100%. They make errors, and that's why you need to have more than one commentary. So what did I bring to the table? I brought, I brought my three favorite commentaries, and I would recommend even investing in all three of them. So to go back to, I talked about James Sires reading slowly. He says you need to read worldviewishly and ask what's the perspective of the author, what's the worldview. That's what you just did. He said this is Bartholomew's perspective. He thinks this is happening during the Greek philosophic period after they've returned from the exile, not in 900s. And that's what helps you understand why you think he's wrong. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's a big conversation too with the authorship thing. To further uh, support my inter- this, I don't know about my interpretation, this interpretation of Ecclesiastes 12.12, I'm going to read uh, the English translation of the Targum. The Targum is the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew Bible. So a lot of Jewish people were not they, they had lost their understanding of Hebrew, so of course they made a translation into Aramaic, a language they knew better. This would be an English translation of the Targum. It reads like this, More than this, my son, be careful to make many scrolls of wisdom without end. Isn't that interesting? It totally changes it. Wow. They're saying, be careful. The warning isn't don't make the books. It is to make the books. Be careful to make many scrolls of wisdom without end. And as you think through the life of Solomon, what was he known as doing? That. Yeah. Just that. He wrote Proverbs. He wrote sayings. He was hmm. the pinnacle sage. This is what you're supposed to do. Student, this is what you're supposed to do. And then he continues, to be exceedingly busy with the words of the Torah and to consider, to consider the weariness of the flesh. Now, I think they may have messed up that last part, but that's okay. So the, it's the difference of, as a student... Or even in life, studying in the task to get it done or studying in the task to do better studying again for the rest of your life. Right. Yes. When you are studying, this is just the beginning. When you graduate, you're still just, that's the beginning. You need to keep writing, keep studying, keep thinking. And to add in some other ideas from... A couple other chapters of Ecclesiastes, part of that toil will include work, and that is in a very physical sense, like your physical work, your occupation. It includes suffering and injustice. It includes everything that a sovereign God chooses for you to participate in, the God-given task. And in all of that, usually the flesh says, get me out of mm, the problem. Right. And... And that's where Tim and I would agree with Ogden and the, the positive nature of Ecclesiastes. He's not telling you life is vain. Just get out of the life. Like you do, do what you have to do to be happy. It's going to suck no matter what. 
he's telling you that the bad things, the weariness is actually exactly what God wants for you. Mm -hmm. And if you recognize that, it will produce the fruits of joy and happiness and and a big word, and we'll come back to this another time, contentment. Did a lot of study there in Ecclesiastes. You're probably going to need to come back and listen to that, pause, think, and uh, we'll have to come back at another time and maybe discuss some of these things. One thought to end with, and we're talking about a couple of commentaries here. We're, we're using them as tools to aid our understanding of a biblical text. Just give a quick promotion here. I'm sitting here with a Greek professor. I'm sitting here with a Hebrew professor, an Aramaic professor, and someone who has sat through the bulk of all of their language classes. And just a reminder, student, you don't need the languages. You don't. You can study the Word of God and think and understand without them. But most preachers and teachers of God's Word eventually, emphasize eventually, turn to a commentary. And that should be at a very distinct part of the process of studying a text. You shouldn't just start by reading a commentary. That should be usually towards the end of your study. But think about this for a moment. If you could not read the text and think about it for yourself, you're absolutely dependent That's right. on that commentary. Yep. And that would be a great reason for you to consider not becoming an expert maybe. There's not going to be, there are not a lot of Old Testament language experts or Greek experts, but gaining more knowledge and understanding of those languages so that you're less dependent on a commentary that might have a completely different view of the world, of the text than you do. And so just a quick plug there at the end that, you know, while you're here as a student, if you're a student, we might have many listeners that aren't students here at Faith, but if you are, it's certainly worth your time to think about investing study in the languages. Amen. Any other closing thoughts? I would just say that take this this thought of studying being wearisome, but wearisome being good. It's the toil God's given you. And get with another student, get with a friend and talk about this. Like, why is it, why is it so weary? What is it in your heart that doesn't want the weariness? What mm-hmm. is it that you want to escape from? Like, do the, do the work of the soul with the word of God between you and some friends. Get a study group together and talk about these things. Because sometimes you need to readjust your outlook before you can begin to really attack what God's given you. And work, God made that before the fall. It's not part of the fall. It's before the fall. So that's what we're designed for. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.